Hey there, thanks for tuning in. My name's Kara and you're listening to Demystifying Careers, a podcast where we talk to real people about who they are, what they do, and how they got to where they are today. For today's episode, we have Malik Dancy and Chelsea Hanfield, two doctors who have recently started their medical residencies in orthopedic surgery and dermatology, respectively. The couple, who are actually married in real life and met while attending neighboring medical schools, talk with us about their professional journeys thus far. I spoke to them about many different aspects of their careers, and so this episode you're listening to is the second of three that will be released. In this episode, Malik and Chelsea discuss what life was like in medical school, from the classes and clinical rotations they did, to the way they dealt with the stress of everything. Listen to hear all about it, and when you're done, check out their other two episodes about getting started in medicine and what applying to medical schools is like. With that said, enjoy the podcast. All right, so we are back with Malik and Chelsea. Thank you guys again for being here. I really appreciate it. So in the first episode, we talked a little bit about getting started in medicine, your guys' personal journeys with it, finding mentors, and just that big picture look into the medical process and into becoming a physician. But for this episode, I want to hone in a little bit on that medical school experience because that's such a big part of the journey. Um, And I think it's really interesting to a lot of people because it is pretty foreign. If you don't know someone who's gone through the experience, um, it just seems very different and alien to you. So I'd love to hear from your guys' perspective what it was like going through medical school. Uh, And I know that's a very vague question to start, but feel free to interpret it anyway. What was the medical school experience like for you? For me, UNC has what's called a traditional curriculum. And so the first two years are in the classroom. And those two years really aren't all that different from college, except that uh, it moves a lot faster (laughs) with a lot more information being covered. It's actually pretty relaxing, aside from the studying part, because we had lecture capture, which essentially just means you could watch your lectures on the computer. Um, You don't have to come in for it. It wasn't mandatory. We maybe had to come in once or twice a week for a mandatory group gathering. But the majority of the time, you could just watch things at your own pace. You know, usually about three to four hours of lecture uh, Monday through Friday each day. Uh, That allowed me to work out in the morning or cook breakfast or that those type of things as long as we didn't have something mandatory in the morning. So it was it was by far the time in medical school that I had the most time. Um, the only thing about that is this is adult education. And so, you know, nobody's calling mom and dad if you're not keeping up. And regardless of whether or not you're watching the lectures on your own, there's going to be a test at the end of the week or a test, you know, at the end of two weeks. And, you know, of course, you got to pass your test to stay in medical school. And so what it does is it um, it, it really it, it relies on whether or not you're disciplined enough to get through the work. For me at Duke, we have a condensed uh, curriculum, which means that our entire preclinical coursework, it um, takes place across 11 months. Um, So that is also equally as intense, kind of, you say it's like taking in um, a fire, trying to drink in a fire hydrant worth of information. Um, But it is kind of the most relaxed year of a year of within which you have the most free time or the most flexibility uh, during med school. But how chill that year really depends on what institution you're at. So one of the things that I really recommend pre-med students pay attention to when they're interviewing at different med schools is, is that pre-curriculum year, is it pass-fail? And do they engage in ranking? 
because if it's pass fail, but they're ranking, your grades still matter. So it's essentially not pass fail. And if that's the case, then you, the, the intensity really goes up. Um, another thing to pay attention to, and this has all changed since I was a first year, so I can't even tell you how it works at Duke now, um, is the frequency with which with their testing. Um, so one of my best friends is at another medical school and she at one point was having a test every Monday. So no matter what, on Sundays and maybe even Saturdays, her whole weekend is dedicated to studying. Because um, even if it's only pass fail, you still have to pass. <laughs> and that requires some type of effort. Um, so those are nuances that are kind of important uh, to make sure that you at least have a good understanding when it comes time to choosing a medical school. And you mentioned preclinical. So is it right to say then medical school, you have um, some time where you're just in the classroom and then after that point, are you working with patients? Or are you working in the hospital setting? How does that work? Yes. So after the classroom or preclinical portion, you usually then go to the clinical portion or rotations. Uh, so the way UNC is set up is the first two years are in the classroom. And then after that, you have your clinical rotations uh, starting in your third year. But uh, Chelsea school is different. Um, so, you know, every school is, again, that's something to ask about during the interviews or something to kind of sets out on the websites as students are investigating what schools they want to apply to. Um, but in the clinical portion, um, in between the clinical and the preclinical, you take an exam called step one. Now, that is for UNC. Yes, for UNC, excuse me. But uh, that is the hardest exam that I've ever taken. Again, relatively speaking, the MCAT was harder because it was the first of its kind. But step one was definitely the hardest exam I've ever taken. And what it does is it tests you on everything you learned in the classroom portion. So for me, two years for Chelsea that first year. And um, that's why it's important that even, and this is a, a kind of a pitfall that I fell into and a lot of other people end up falling into, is that even if your school is pass fail, meaning whether you get a 70 or whether you get a 99, it just says P for pass. Um, and even if they're not ranking, step one tests how well you know that information from that period of time. And so a lot of times what people will do is say, well, you know, what does it matter if I get a 71 or if I get a 98, it doesn't matter. I just get a pass, but you're still responsible for that information. And the better you learn it that first time around, the easier it is going to be when you start to prepare for your board exams and schools will give you, you know, anywhere between four weeks to eight weeks or, you know, some, some places even longer to prepare for step one, just dedicated time, no classes, nothing. But, you know, if you're trying to, you, it's, it's near impossible to learn two years worth of material in eight weeks. So the better you learn the first time, the better you're going to remember when you get to dedicated time. And step one is, you know, this is kind of far in the future to apply in the residency, but step one was, and I say was because step one is not going to pass fail, <laughs> but step one was the most important part of matching into residency. That's the, that's the, it's kind of like the MCAT again, or the SAT again. It's like that score doesn't matter how easy or how hard your personal school was. It, it was the great equalizing factor. It was standardized. And so that was super important. Um, that being said, <laughs> since step one is going to pass fail, it'll be interesting to see how things, uh, how things go forward with how they select people for residency. But at least for us, that's how things work. Classroom portion, then step one. 
I'm going to quickly tell a story. Um, so when we were studying for stuff, when we both, I scheduled the line, so we both ended up studying for it at the same time. And like you said, at both of our schools, it's common, common practice for you to have dedicated step one time where you're literally just studying for this exam for 12 14 hours a day so we decided to do it together so i moved into his house and we were stuck in this house for literally seven weeks straight only seeing each other's faces couples retreat yeah <laughs> yeah a good couples retreat yeah that's a very intensive well 12 to 14 hours a day for seven weeks is a lot of studying that's impressive. You just realized that we never finished saying. Yeah, we never talked about clinical portion. So I think you had already said kind of the summary of the clinical year. So just to highlight a little bit more about that, for us at Duke, um, our clinical year is made up of eight core rotations. So that's through medicine, general surgery. Actually, they may have changed it a little bit. But medicine, surgery, OBGYN, family medicine, radiology, psychology, neurology, and pediatrics. But in addition, what I really like is in addition to those eight core rotations, we also have the ability to do two two-week selectives and whatever you want. So for me, it was dermatology. That's when I fell in love with the field. Um, and also anesthesiology. But it can be really specific. So you can do, be doing like geriatrics. You can be doing plastic surgery. So that that's kind of the one opportunity that you have to really delve deeper into what you think you're possibly interested in. And the fact that we get to do that during our second year of medical school means that we then have two years to really further develop that interest and really build our application and our personal story about our passion for our applications for residency. So that's something else to really consider when you're comparing medical schools. Just to kind of get a better idea of what, what the rotations themselves look like. So uh, the hours that you work are going to be dependent on the rotation. Like outpatient family med, for example, like you're going to go see a primary care doctor, the hours are eight to five, like normal uh, office hours. But other rotations are a little bit more challenging. So things like surgery, you know, surgeries start most of the time uh, around seven o'clock or sometimes 630 so that means you have to get there and prepare for the surgery and go around on patients and things. You might get to the hospital at five o'clock. And depending on how many surgeries that you have scheduled for that day and, you know, how long each of those go, you might be there till eight o'clock. Some rotations will give you a little bit more time to yourself than others. In addition to those clinical duties, what you're doing is you have to take a standardized test at the end of that. It's called a, a shelf. And everybody in the nation takes the same shelf. Again, it's like a great equalizing factor. So, you know, no matter how easy your medical school was on like the subject of grading that you get from whoever your boss was during the rotation, your shelf is based on how everybody else on the nation does. And so that also factors into your grades. And school, what schools do with that and how heavily that factors into your grade, that is dependent on each school and it might even be dependent on each rotation. But those are the two main components of each rotation is going to be your clinical duties, what you're doing in the hospital, what you're doing in the office. And then at the end, you're going to take a test in regards to all that subject matter you were supposed to be learning alongside the way. So again, this is where that, that discipline and that, you know, daily or frequent studying kind of comes into play because, you know, you have to be used to, to putting in some time every day. You're not going to have time to cram. You have to kind of have kept up with that along the way. So even if you had worked a long day, you have to crack that book open and look at it a little bit before you go to sleep. Otherwise, you know, the end of the month or the end of the two months is going to get here and you might have did great at work, you know, and they had high praise for you at work, 
But if you're not studying for that shelf, you're still going to have to take it at the end of that period of time and you have to do well on it if you want to do well in that, in that, uh, that rotation. This is your first taste into what it's like working in the hospital. You are working the same hours as the residents. You, might, you don't have the same workload as them, but you are there as long as they are. So this is when you're having your night shifts. Um, you may be having 36-hour call shifts. You are working full-time, but like Malik said, you're also a full-time student because at the end of that rotation, you have to face the shelf exam. And I just want to stress the importance of those shelf exams um, because this is the point within the curriculum where grades matter. So I, I believe at most places, you're going to end up having honors, high pass, pass, or fail. And really the difference between getting honors and a high pass almost always comes down to that shelf exam score. Mm -hmm. So you really have, and that's something that I fully didn't grasp until um, I was kind of well into my second year. So you really have to take those shelf exams, preparing for them very seriously. Mm -hmm. But it's good because again, this is what we went into the field for. Like you're dealing with patients, you're helping people, you're being useful, you're, you're applying the knowledge that you spent two years in the classroom or one year in the classroom acquiring you're putting it to good use you're actually doing doctoring and so in a lot of ways it, it demonstrates you know are you going to be a good doctor next for me was um, in my third year it's dedicated full-time to research to my knowledge duke is one of the few schools that has that opportunity and it's definitely the reason why i wanted to go to medical school there um so you have 10 to 12 months dedicated to some scholarly activity which can have a very loose definition that just means you have to be able to produce a thesis at the end this is really the time in med school where i feel like i had the flexibility to really learn dive into what my passion is within dermatology so that's when i really got to learn about it through my research, but then also through a lot of clinical activities. And then uh, I think kind of universally, fourth year across the board is you're taking a few more rotations. They're graded. They're not as heavily considered as your third year core rotations. They're like usually what's called electives. Uh, so you get to choose, whereas third year or second year for Chelsea were mandatory rotations. You had to do PED, surgery, neuro, et cetera. These are like things that you're interested in. So, hey, you know, even though I'm going into orthopedics, I want to see what the emergency department does. But by and large, fourth year is dedicated to applying to residency. You apply to a lot more places than you apply to for medical school most of the time. You know, I, I, I apply to maybe five medical schools. I know people apply to more. But for residency, I think the fewest amount I've ever heard anybody apply to is what, like 20? Chelsea and I, because we were couples matching, we applied to 120. So that just kind of gives you the range of, you know, it, it's a lot, it's a lot more places. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a lot more places you apply to that time. But, you know, in that in that fourth year, you're getting your your letters of recommendation just like you did to apply to, to medical school or even undergrad. You're taking your last board exams. You're taking your last board exams. You are reaching out to your your mentors, hopefully, and seeing if they know anybody at the places you're applying to and can put a good word in for you. Again, it really pays off to know people and just spending a ton of money. No one was able to give me that money to apply, so I, I took it all in loans, but it was definitely a very expensive process. And then you're paying for flights to and from the interviews, you're paying for hotel stays, you're paying for food while you're at the hotels. But by and large, fourth year is just trying to get secured into a residency position. And then, uh, God willing, you graduate. I'd love to hear more about what drew you to the field you guys ended up going into, which Chelsea for you, it's dermatology, and Malik, it's orthopedics. 
Um, what was that process like and the experience like for you? I kind of knew that I wanted to go into surgery and I was thinking about orthopedic surgery before I got into medical school, but I had to really find out if that field would suit my lifestyle. You know, ultimately you'll be a doctor and it will, of course, you know, be a, a privilege and, and a blessing, but it'll be a job. And you have to think, can I do this for the next 30 years? So one very important conversation that I had, speaking of mentors, Kara, I had the opportunity to speak with your dad. Um, I met him, uh, Dr. O'Malley, I met him, I think maybe one or two months into medical school. And, you know, he just had this really big personality. So I'm like, okay, well, you know, he'll talk to me at the very least. And I found his email because he was kind of in and out of the event. So I found his email and I shot him an email. It's like, hey, you know, I would really love to talk to you some more about orthopedic surgery. And what I really wanted to find out was, would it fit the lifestyle that I envisioned myself having? You know, I want to be a good husband. I want to be a good father. You know, I want to be present. I don't want to be in the hospital, you know, 24-7. I, I, need, I need time outside of the hospital to fulfill those parts of my life. The lives of the surgeons that I had seen up to that point were very unbalanced. They were in the hospital all the time. They were never around their family. And so what I wanted to talk to him about was, was it feasible to go into the field that I was most interested in, orthopedic surgery, and still be able to be there for my family? And, you know, long story short, he, he's one of those great mentors that was willing to, you know, he didn't want to speak on the phone. He was willing to, to meet me in person. So I went down, met him in person, went to a restaurant, and he basically told me, like, yes, it is possible. You just have to have that in mind. And you have to look for jobs that will allow you to live that life, you know, and also lead a lifestyle that allows you to live that life. If you want to leave the Lamborghini and mansion lifestyle, you're going to be working all the time to afford that, you know. But if you just want to lead a, a fairly regular but comfortable lifestyle, you don't have to work all those hours. You can be around. You can have a balanced life. And so that gave me the confidence that I needed early in medical school to say, you know what, I'm going to go for it. Because if he had told me, well, you know, honestly, you're not going to have that much time around your family. If he had told me that, I would have done something that I was less interested in, but afforded me a better lifestyle, just because I know that is just a major key for me. And so, you know, again, it goes back to mentorship, finding somebody that's doing what it is that you think you may be interested in, and really picking their brain, not about, you know, always about their work, but, you know, about their life outside of work. Can you see yourself being them? Or if you worked the hours they worked and had the commitments they had, would you be unhappy for the next 30 years? And that's a really, really important question to ask. I hate to say this to make medicine sound less aspirational, <laughs> but it's going to come a time where it's going to be a job that you got to show up with and you're not going to be this fiery, fiery, passionate student or medical student, but it's going to be your reality and it's going to be pretty commonplace. And you don't want to hate your life. So you really, when you're thinking about a field, you have to look at all aspects. Not only does the subject matter interest you, but will you be able to be the person that you envision yourself being 20 years from now while having that career? I think when you're trying to find what specialty you want to pursue, you have to be really honest with yourself. And there are kind of some like core fundamental questions that once you figure that out will help kind, kind of guide your selection. So do you like the OR or not? Do you like adults or pediatric patients do you like using your hands or do you like more of the like cerebral thought process do you like interacting with patients or not those are the questions that once you address those 
uh, or find the answers to those questions, you'll really have narrowed down your selection. I knew that I wanted to do dermatology once I did it as a selective as a second year because it was so much more than I realized. It's a really broad field. There are so many different things that you can subspecialize within it from infectious disease, rheumatologic disease, blistering skin diseases, cosmetics, which is probably what most people think about, but there, there are so many other elements to it. Um, and I found that to be really interesting and fascinating. There are so many different activities that I could be involved in within dermatology. I knew I would never get bored. And I had so much fun in the clinic and interacting with those patients um, that I knew at the end of the day when I'm super tired, like I would not mind seeing another derm patient. And once I came to that realization, I was like, yes, this is what I want to do. Thank you guys for that. It's really good to hear about all the different components that go into figuring out what you want to go into. It's not just what pays the most or what I did best in class. Looking ahead, I know um, this would be the next step after medical school, but you guys mentioned matching for residency programs. What exactly does that mean? And can you give a kind of quick overview of what that process looks like? So the reason they call it matching and whoever designed this uh, algorithm actually won a, a Nobel Prize off of it. So it's kind of crazy, but essentially they, they have the candidate uh, the student submit a list from one to however many programs they interviewed at? Well, even before that, you apply to however many programs you want. And then if the program is interested in you, then they will extend an invitation to yeah. interview. Mm -hmm. The amount of interviews you go on is kind of up to the applicant. But at the end of the day, the applicant makes a list of one to however many interviews they went on. And then each program makes a list of one their top to however many people that they interviewed. Their top applicant. Their top applicant to however many people they interviewed. And then a computer matches the two together. And it's supposed to be in the student or the applicant's uh, preference. You know, hopefully you get some of the top places, but you can fall all the way to the bottom of your <laughs> list of preferences. And so it's kind of a, it's a stressful process because you, you really don't know where you're going to end up. And it's not like medical school where you select where you're going to go. It's all computer based. And uh, hopefully, you know, the way the algorithm is set up is it gives you the place that wanted you that was closest towards the top of your preferences. So the reason why it's match day is such a big deal is because that is the day where we find out what institution you're going to. Everybody and in the country, all the med students across the country. And it's a binding contract. So when you open that envelope on match day, whatever institution that it says, that's where you're going. It's, um, there's no trading or negotiating after the fact. I'd heard about match day before, but I didn't realize how binding it was and how it all happened in one moment. That's very dramatic, but also very cool. So moving on to things beyond you know, the classroom or clinical, things that are outside the med school experience, but are still very much part of that time of your life. I'd love to hear about what it was like keeping up a social life, whether that's dating, I know you guys met during the med school time, um, keeping friendships, meeting people if, you are, if you're in a new town, having hobbies, just what does that life outside of med school look like for you? So it, it differs based on what part of med school that you're in. Like again, the classroom portion where you're, everything is pretty much on your own time. You, have, you can have a lot more of a social life, but in the, the rotation of the clerkship year, uh, where your schedule is a work schedule and it's determined by somebody else, you know, that can really cut down on your social life. <laughs> um, so you, 
you have to get a lot better at at utilizing your time wisely. I had a little bit easier of a time kind of keeping up a social life, particularly in the beginning of medical school, because I'm from here. I, I kind of knew my way around places. It wasn't hard. I didn't really have to make friends in the med school if I didn't want to. I think Chelsea can kind of speak some more city adjustment that you have to make if you're going to uh, a school in an area that you're not from. I think it was pretty similar to going to college in an area that I'm not from. You make friends. It's nice that that first year is the year where you have the most flexibility, the most free time, um, because you can kind of establish what your social support system is going to look like around you. Obviously, you definitely can have a life during med school. We met, dated, got engaged, all of that. Um, I made some really, really good friends while I was here. We had fun. We went on trips, all of that. Like, life does not end. Um, but one of the things that I was told kind of early on is you kind of have your three aspects of your life, social, sleep, and study. And you're not going to be able to maintain all three at one time. One of them is going to be sacrificed. So you kind of just have to find uh, what, you, what your priorities are at a given moment and um, make adjustments as necessary. I'd also love to hear your guys' experience, um, if you're comfortable talking about it, with you know, dealing with stress, mental health. I'm sure it's a really uh, challenging time through med school and you're dealing with a lot of new experiences and a lot of stressful um, things happening, like all the exams. So how did you guys personally deal with that? You know, my faith is a big part of my life. And so that, to me, um, I, when things get stressful and even when things aren't, you know, I, I, I look to that as a source of stability. And so that was huge for me. Um, and then, of course, you know, I have Chelsea and my family right up the street. And so it was always a good outlet because the problem that I see some people run into, uh, especially people that are going to school in areas that they're not from, is that, you know, their whole world is medical school. Not just the books, but like even their friends, all their friends are in medical school. So they end up just talking about medicine 24-7 and maybe even their parents are in medicine too. So it's just like never really an escape. And so finding an outlet is really good. And then exercise. So I was definitely in a lot, I'm not going to lie, I was in a lot better shape before I came to medical school. <laughs> I was in pretty decent shape the first two years. But then again, you know, expectations rose. My hours kind of became heavier. And I'm not in as good shape as I was before. You know, I haven't fallen completely off the wagon. But that is definitely a big source of my uh, stress relief. You know, something that I enjoy doing. And then, you know, just scientifically, the endorphins help a lot, you know, with stress. Yeah, I, uh, working out is definitely my best form of stress relief. I've gotten in better shape during medical school, <laughs> which I'm proud of. That's one of the things that I encourage people to really discover about themselves prior to entering any kind of intense um, experience is knowing how you're going to keep yourself balanced, where you're going to find your wellness from. One of the things that was really cool for me is one of my classmates was a certified yoga instructor. So during my preclinical year, every Wednesday, we would have yoga over lunch. It's also important to really um, not bottle, bottle up your feelings or be comfortable sharing the experiences that you're going through. Like there's some weird stuff that you're going to experience as a medical student. Um, the first time that you see uh, a dead body, um, if you have a patient that passes on you, like these are, these are experiences that if you have, hopefully you will try kind of decompress and um, kind of discuss your reaction 
to that experience with your team, like with your resident, with your attending. But if that doesn't happen, then you, you need to talk to someone about it. There are going to be times in medical school where you, you do get down, you know, or you do get stressed. And, you know, if you have ways to deal with that, that's great. You know, but if you don't, you know, there are a lot of resources they put, they provide at the medical school for you to have somebody to talk to. Um, it's important that you take care of yourself. Like, it, you know, it's great. You want to be a health professional and you want to do the best you can in school. But, you know, if, if, if you lose yourself, you're really not doing anybody any good. Thank you guys so much for talking about that. And I liked an earlier point you made, Chelsea, about knowing yourself going into the um, experience and knowing what is your version of self-care, what routines work for you. Thank you guys so much again for talking with us about medical school, your experiences. There are so many great things uh, covered. So I really appreciate the information you guys shared today. Of course. Thank you for listening. And that's a wrap. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. For more information on the guests and what was discussed, check out the information in the podcast description box. And to hear more, feel free to subscribe to this podcast and leave a rating so others can find demystifying careers too. Don't forget that if you want to hear more from Malik and Chelsea, there are two more episodes available where they discuss getting started in medicine and med school applications. Thanks again and see you next time.